Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. We got Hunter Weems this week. If you haven't heard of Hunter Weems, um, he's been around some of the biggest animals taken in Arizona. He um, definitely knows his stuff and he recently started his own outfit, Arizona Custom Hunt. So if you're looking for an outfitter this year or a hunt to go on, uh, get in contact with him. He's, he's a great guy as you'll hear in this podcast. Before we get him on the line, though, I just want to thank some of our sponsors, Scout to Hunt. They're doing a shed hunting uh, picture contest going on right now with some awesome prizes and their free mobile app. They're putting out some really cool stuff. And then we have Ancient Boots, the the Sneaky Boot, and uh, Scree Gear, the, the camouflage company. They I wore um, their stuff last year, as I've talked about on other podcasts, and it's it's just some great stuff. Anyways, let's get Hunter on the line and hear what he has to say. Let's, let's go ahead and get started. Thanks for getting on, Hunter. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> so, like I said, you, you recently started your own outfit, um, but before we get into that, I kind of want to just maybe talk about what got you started on hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my dad, my, my family's like four generations deep in Northern Arizona and, and guiding and outfitting. Um, they started in a, you know, out of a couple wall tents in what's now 5B South with my great, great grandpa. Um, my dad's been guiding and outfitting for 30, 35 years. So it's, I mean, I was pretty much raised in an elk camp um, for the most part when I wasn't playing baseball or fishing. So it's just been something that I started with and I got hooked and I can't can't shake it, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome that you in your blood. So um what what so when did you actually like start guiding? Um did you do that right out as soon as you're old enough pretty much? Yep. As soon as I uh was licensed or old enough to be licensed, I started that day pretty much. I was in I actually played a little bit of college baseball. I was in New York and huh. it just it, it wasn't the right fit for me. Um so I called a, a old friend that had a you know, one man operation here in Flagstaff. Called him and told him my situation. He said, can you be here on Wednesday? And that was on Saturday, I believe. I said, yep. So Monday I flew home, um, jumped in the truck, and Wednesday I was in elk camp for my first guided hunt. So it was it <laughs> happened quick. And I basically landed in time to get the guide's license test taken and printed and hit the woods. <laughs> That's so awesome. So... You've been doing this a long time, obviously. Um, what do you feel like keeps you passionate? Like, how, what keeps you going on it? I think it's because every hunt's something new. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get burnt out when it's just monotonous. You know, if you sat in the same ground blind or tree stand every day, you'd probably get tired of it. But every hunt's a new person, uh, you know, a new friend that you get to make, and you're chasing a different animal most of the time. So it just makes it easy to keep, you know, things fresh. That way you don't just fall into the monotony of, of what I guess you could potentially fall into. So just always something new and different. And you're hunting an animal in its own element. So and, yeah, you, know, you have to beat them at their own game. They live and die by every single day. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then you you do a lot of different species as well, right? You do um, a little bit of sheep, but then you mainly do deer and elk, and then uh, some antelope as well, right? Yep, pretty much. If it walks around Arizona, New Mexico, Mexico, I'll give a crack at trying to kill it. <laughs> That's awesome. So a lot of people say like if you. Uh, once it becomes, I guess, a job or your your career path, it's not really a hobby anymore. It's more of a job. Do you do you feel that way, or are you still pretty <laughs> pretty, I guess, passionate about it? No, I'm still passionate. Um, 
yeah, it is my job. You know, my main source income, it's it's what consumes my my days and nights and everything. Um, but, you know, I take a lot of pride in where I'm at in the industry and, and what I do with it. Um, when I was with A3, I was in kind of a managerial role. Um, and so I took care of a lot. I got to talk to a lot of people on the phone and network quite a bit. So it kept it interesting, um, you know, trying to, trying to keep moving forward um, in the guiding world. Because, yeah, I mean, you can, you can be successful as a hunting guide that does nothing but guide hunts. You know, that's, I mean, that's sort of the dream is to do nothing but hunt and that be your livelihood. But I, I've been blessed with some opportunities to take it to the next level. So it, it keeps it fun and challenging. It makes me push myself, too, to, you know, wake up early and do the right things every day and make sure that things are running properly, that guys are taken care of. So it, there's a, it's a little different than just going out and hunting and getting paid to go spend seven days with somebody. Um, it's just at a different level for me, and, and that's what keeps me going and, you know, fires my passion on the other side of it to not have to answer the phone for seven days and be able to just go out and hit the hills. Uh, it keeps it fresh both ways. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of leads in to, I guess, what we mentioned first. Um, so it, it, it kind of feels like maybe this is, has kind of been maybe your ultimate goal is to start your, your own outfit. And you recently, you recently did that with Arizona um, Custom Hunts. Can you kind of maybe tell us what, what, how, you, how you got there? Yeah, I mean, the goal that I think the American dream is to be your own boss and kind of form your own destiny. Um, you know, the guys at A3 are awesome. They gave me, I was with them for eight years. They gave me some incredible opportunities. I got to see a lot of big animals you hit the ground. Um, you know, I, I could never fathom one bad word to say about those guys. Um, just it was time for me to to push myself in a different direction. And, you know, again, I, I thank them for every opportunity that I had. But, it, you know, I got I to gotta go into if, – if I died tomorrow and never tried it on my own, I'd look back going, what if? And I have an idea on how things should go, and I learned a lot of things from A3 on how to run an outfit that is successful, and that's where, you know, that's where I'm headed is in that direction where I believe an outfit is going to strive or thrive and, and provide good quality experience and make sure your guys are taken care of and everything like that. And that's my, that's my goal is to have – great employees that love what they do and they they love working for me and you know i i i have a i have a dream on how it should go and and that's what i'm pushing for yeah that that's awesome and i i think you're right that's the the american dream to become your own boss and i i think that's awesome you took that step to to do that especially when <laughs> like you said you're in a good situation they're at A3 and they, they treated you great, but to to be able to to maybe hope for better and kind of chase your dream, I think that that's cool that you're willing to take take the jump. So, um, what? So Arizona Custom Hunts, tell us about like what what you do and um, what species, and is it just Arizona or you mentioned maybe New Mexico? Right now, just Arizona. Um, oh, yeah. All species, elk deer, antelope, sheep, including coos deer. Um, specializing myself, so I, and, and the, my model is I'm not going to book a hunt without a guide ready for it. And most of the mm -hmm. times I can say, hey, you know, if you want to talk to your guide beforehand, here's his phone number. And that that really assures guys on, on what we're trying to do. Um, right. The custom part of it for me is, you know, most, most outfits have two different packages. It's a guide only and a fully outfitted. Well, 
sometimes a mixture of the two is great or guys can only do three days or afford five or whatever it is. It's totally tailored to client needs. It's not, I would say it's not cookie cutter on this is how we're going to do it. It's, it's open to whatever needs and desires the client has. And that's, that's my, my main goal. We focus a lot in nine and 10 um, for our Flagstaff guys. For our east side of the state guys, they really love 3A, 3C, Unit 1, 27, 2A, 2B. I mean, the whole east side of the state guys cover it, and they cover it very well. Um, we have a, a guy in Tucson that's pretty much strictly coos deer. Um, so we, we got the whole, you know, the whole nine. A lot of these guys have either killed sheep on their own, um, you know, with personal tags, or been there when my dad killed that state record ram or hunted some deserts with some other people. So, you know, we've got a, we've got a good crew of guys that specialize in their own units, their own animals, and, you know, they can produce at a high level because that's what they get to specialize in. They're not, you know, I'm not going to have uh, one of my guides from Sholo come over and guide a unit 10 archery elk hunt. You know what I mean? They're, they're very specialized in the areas that they hunt. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's important because a lot of times, I mean, you, people, people just try and fill, <laughs> like fill in the guide. So sometimes the guide is only spent a day or two in the unit and you get paired up with them. So I, I think that, I think you've got it figured out. That's awesome. Right. So, so speaking of that, uh, just for fun, if you, if you could have um, any tag in the state of Arizona for this year, um, any species, what what would you take? Man, I thought you know every time anybody asked that, that it would strictly be either like a unit nine early archery elk tag or a thirteen B rifle tag. But after my dad's sheep hunt, I'm pretty hooked on those Rockies. Um, really? In, yeah, man. I and granted, maybe we were spoiled a little bit that he killed that state record ram, but I mean that was so much fun. Um, he did it with a bow, which would be you know the dream. So I would say if I could get a sheep tag and do it with a bow, that is that is absolutely where I'd be. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I didn't know he did it with a bow. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, he waited 29 years, or he had 29 bonus points, and um, the hunt was over in like an hour. <laughs> well, you it got, was worth it, but, you know, yeah, yeah it was over way, way too quick. You guys knew about that that ram beforehand, right? Obviously, he killed him the first Yeah, half. my dad and Jolie Guthrie, um, they had found the ram, I think, in October. Okay. And they went on a scouting trip, and then... It was one of those deals where three rams go around the end of a point and they went to go relocate them, couldn't turn them back up. And then the week before the hunt started, turned up what we figured were those same rams. Uh-huh. And they, they were in pretty much the same area that they had seen them the first time. So we sat there and watched them for, I think, three days. And then, of course, like the night, we had a, my dad went to go figure out the access into the area, the road systems, how to get close without walking 10 miles, you know what I mean? Um, and Tyler Mott, Zach Doster, Weston Barkley, Carter Beebe, we had we had the the good old boys there watching <laughs> the rim, you know, kind of just babysitting until opening day. Uh-huh. Of course, like, like two hours before dark, the ram picks up and moves like two and a half miles. Jeez. So, and for really no reason, he was with a little band of sheep, picks up and disappears. So we all run as far and as fast as we can, set back up, and, and Zach found him. And so, you know, we just watched him until the sun went down. And when we left that night, he was bedded. Um, so we thought, oh, yeah, we're going to walk out to this little dead tree on this point, and it's going to be game over. He's going to be laying right there at the sun up. Well, we took a little bit longer getting in there than we had anticipated the next morning. 
So we got there well after daylight, and we had our plan. We're going to walk out to the edge of the, the point, and as soon as we did, we could hear rocks rolling underneath us, and I think it was six sheep came out, four ewes, the big ram, and then another ram we called shark bite. Uh-huh. came out underneath us at 44 yards, and my dad just started launching arrows. He hit him. <laughs> He hit him four out of four shots. Jeez. It was like in less than a minute and a half. It was like 44 yards, 46 yards, 61, and 71. I I mean, it was some Robin Hood-looking stuff. <laughs> and, um, I mean, he made them all count. And in the video, of, in, in the full video, I haven't posted the full one. Um, in the full video, when he shoots the last arrow, I said, you know, we're – you've got two left in your quiver. Let's make sure that these are hitting. I said, you've got three in him. And he said, three, are you sure? I said, yep, three for sure. He said, here comes four right here, brother. At the steep angle at 71 yards, he shoots a, the fourth arrow and buries it in the ram. No. Like, that is some cold-blooded <laughs> savage killing right there. Oh, yeah. Watch, here comes four right here, brother. <laughs> he buried it in him, so it was a pretty cool deal. That's so cool. What what made him want to do it with the bow? Just just for the challenge? Yeah, so he he just built like that. He he had a Kaibab uh, 12B late rifle tag, and I can't remember what year this is. I think 2012 uh-huh. or 11. He had the late rifle tag and went up there with his bow. And opening day shoots a two thirty two non typical. Oh my gosh. So that's just that's his thing. He said he wants to do it all with a bow. He wants his Arizona Big Ten with one. So That's I, incredible. I remember right, he only needs like a buffalo and maybe a coos deer with a bow and he got it. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> with a bow too. <laughs> When everyone it else me out when we're walking in on this ram, you know, that we all kind of knew it, didn't want to say it. We knew it was going to be the archery state record, but we didn't think it would be the all-time state record. Um, and I, I mean, we got off the quad and I said, man, do you want me to carry the rifle for you? He said, nope, I didn't even bring it. He, he straight up left the rifle in camp, knowing <laughs> full and well what we were going after. And... I mean, that's brave. Act of God. <laughs> that's insane. I can't believe that. I I didn't realize he did it with a bow, but now looking at your pictures, I see the bow, but I just didn't. I didn't put it together. That's all. Right, because most people don't realize why anybody would do that. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, and then. I wanted to hear a couple more stories about, it looks like you killed, you helped kill two big Kaibab bucks this year, too. Yeah, the Kaibab was good. Maybe one strip buck and one Kaibab buck, but but the Kaibab buck I was looking at is that it has a big frame um, and then like a inline couple of cheaters. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that buck... um... We had, I had never seen the buck before. Um, you know, last year we had the snow right before the hunt started. So, you know, there was nothing to be had on trail camera for anybody. So it was, you know, it was kind of refreshing. It was just the good old style of getting after it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that, that's it. We were just getting after it the way that I guess the Kaibab should be hunted. Um, yeah. So anyways, that buck, I had never, I had seen one trail camera picture from one of the A3 guides, Mark Darris, and he had him in, I don't know, early, early August, late July, something like that. And, um, you know, we were all like, holy crap, that thing's freaking big, you know? Right. Um, I think Mark hunted him on the archery hunt and the early rifle hunt or hunted the area for him. Um, so, anyways, day one of the Kaibab 12A Westlake rifle hunt, we, you know, pounded it, and we looked for just we, – we wanted to break 200. That was the goal. 
we passed a couple bucks that were in the mid to high 80s, maybe one that would be in the low 90s. And you know, Steve, Steve, the guy that had the tag, he was, I hunted with him before, and we he had late rifle elk tags, him and his dad. Uh-huh. He killed some nice bulls. Not giant bulls, just nice bulls. So when he was, you know, being very selective on this hunt, I thought, man, that's, all right, let's get after it, you know? Um, <laughs> so day two, we were heading back to camp, actually, at like 1130 in the, in the morning. And we would just go, you know, cover ground, get out, glass the shade, cover ground, glass the shade, cover ground, glass the shade. And um, so we, I throw my binos up, my 12s, and there's a, a deer laying there. And I can see antlers, but it's like, you know, 300 and I think it's 340 yards. And just freehanding, I couldn't tell what I was looking at. So I got out my spotting scope, set it up, and I'm looking, and I thought, man, that, and there was some oak brush that was kind of not letting me see all the tines correctly. I thought, okay. man, he's got a big old hanger out one side. That, this, that might be, you know, that buck that Mark had on camera. And I thought, ah, I don't know. And then he turned his head, and I told Steve, I said, you got to kill him. <laughs> that was my, my like, no-doubter moment. Uh-huh. And... And he, I mean, he trusted me because we saw some deer that nobody would pass on that hunt. And he he just told me, he said, if you get excited, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to trust you. And I just kept telling him, we can do better. You know, I can find a buck like that probably every day of the hunt. We can do better. So when he saw me get all jacked up about the buck that he killed, he knew that it was time like, to get serious. Yeah. <laughs> So he got proned out, and um, the buck was still laying there looking kind of over his over his butt at us. And the does start standing up around him, and then he kind of got weird. And when he stood up, I, I knew immediately it was that buck that Mark had on camera. And so he stood up, and I told him, I said, shoot him when you can. And he shot, and I post a video of that, the kill shot. And you can see the bullet just high shoulder smoked him. So <laughs> we gave it, you know, the the 15 minutes of, okay, let's gather our shit because that was that happened really fast and that was pretty wild. That's a big deer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so Steve and I go walking over there. And Steve actually, I, t- I kept telling him about my dad's big Kaibad buck. Steve brought his bow on the hunt. So Nuh-uh. every day we were bow hunting with the rifle in the truck, but we were bow hunting every day. I mean, it was, he, we called him the Kaibab Ninja. So anyways, so Steve and I go walk up there and he's got his bow and his gun. And, you know, we come around where the buck was bedded and we got a little blood and we got his track and, you know, he was laying there piled up and he had more kickers and inlines than I had realized. Uh-huh. And the, I mean, the pure shock of, one, that's that's the buck that Mark had on camera months ago, almost six months ago. And two, we killed him not knowing that he was as big as he was. It was a pretty kind of holy <laughs> shit moment for us. Yeah. Um, so he was like, he ended up being 206 and 35 wide. And, I wow. mean, just an absolute dream of a buck um and when we had done the math on how far he had gone and and kind of what he had done to get uh-huh. where he was where we killed him um i mean i can pull it up right here it's he had moved 9.38 miles from where he summered to where we killed him on the late rifle hunt Jeez, gosh that's such a cool that's just like a good looking buck too like that's, oh yeah, that's the look you you want, you hope for. Yeah, and you know his frame is so big. He's you know he's thirty five inches wide. He's like three feet, and his frame is so big. When we taped him in camp, it was like I got two hundred six. He looks like he looks like a teener, you know. <laughs> so then the next guy would jump in and tape him, and we're getting two hundred six and a quarter, and then we're getting two hundred five and five eighths, you know. 
So we were right there. But his frame, just the way that it sits and lays out on top, it makes it it makes him look like he's in the teens, to me anyways. Yeah. And that's kind of what we thought in Velvet, that he was, you know, in the teens. Um, which in Velvet he probably was. But, yeah, it was yeah. a cool deal that we had a little bit of history because of Mark, and uh, it, it just worked out well for us. It was that, The Kaibab is a place that you can do your scouting and you can have a buck picked out and you can kill it, no doubt. But that's also a place where God works in mysterious ways where you can be headed back to camp at 1130 and that's the buck that's the one you see. You know, if it's meant to be on the Kaibab, it's going to happen. That's insane. You see that buck heading back to camp at 11 o'clock. The Kaibab produced some pretty big deer this year, didn't it? It seemed to me like it was better than the strip was. Yeah, because I felt like the strip kind of had an off year, but I saw a lot of big deer come off of the Kaibab. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, just the bucks that we were hunting on the early hunt and the archery hunt and late hunt that didn't get killed, it's like, holy cow. Really? There's, oh, man. Next year on the Kaibab is going to be really good, in my opinion. Yeah, because don't you think that that burn's going to help out quite a bit too, like with the um, like the new growth in there? Or... I think so. I know that they had just seeded it. Okay. So I think I think it'll be good. Um, I was worried about that because when it burned last year, they didn't seed it quickly. From everything that I gathered from the Forest Service guys up there, but it was uh-huh. also so dry that I don't. I think it would have just blown away. Oh, okay. if they if they seeded it when you know before the snow or on the snow or whatever, I think we're going to be in really good shape. And in the next five years, the Kaibab, in my opinion, will be better than the Strip. The Strip's always going to have giants, but if they don't get water, it's pretty much a done deal on the Strip. You know, it was so dry for them this last year. And usually, I would say, and you had the 13B tag. Usually, I would say that. You know, a 200-inch deer is the goal. Last yeah. year, if we saw a buck in the 90s, it was really, really, really tough to not kill it because that was it was almost like top end up there. There were some guys killed some big deer in the, you know, the, um, Dale Gothier with Arizona Mountain Outfitters and Cody Smith. They killed, um, they killed like a 236 on that 13B late hunt last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't think another buck got within 30 inches of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think especially if it stays dry, I, I think the Kaibab might be the place to be. In in your experience, how um, after like how long after burn do you start seeing um, like deer and elk use it and maybe kind of antler growth work in their advantage a little bit? I think it could be the next year. Um, even this year after the burn, mm-hmm. there were a lot of deer in it. And I think it was really overlooked. And we spent some time hunting in there. Um, you know, we had cameras that were still in the burn, in the new burn. Um, those deer, once the fire left it, they went right back. Um, really? They didn't obviously have much for feed, but they were still there. Um, but I think if they seed it right this year, and we got some moisture on it, which I know we have, that it's going to be good this coming spring as long as that seed didn't, you know, all blow into the Utah or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's going to be good this coming year, but for sure in the next two to five, it's going to be awesome. I think it created a whole lot of new habitat. Um, it created a lot of new places that you can glass and hunt and stuff. Um I look at it kind of like unit one and 27 when the wallow fire and the rodeo fire went through. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when, in my opinion, and I know, I don't know 27 and one near as good as some of my other guys, but it, that's when 27 and one really got put on the map because you could glass it and the, the hunt success rate went up like astronomically just because you can see through the canopy of the pine trees now and they had good feed, and it was great. Yeah, because isn't that what 
I guess, like you said, kind of put 27 on the map. Like even with, um, like even like the the deer, not only just the elk, but they start producing some pretty good bucks, coos and mule deer, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I know guys are going to be like, "Oh, Hunter doesn't know shit about 27," and there's been giants here forever, but. Yeah, my understanding and what I've seen is you can hunt it a lot easier now, and that's what made it better, I guess. Right, I see. Sweet. So then, um, so you you killed that kaibab buck, and then, um, I I saw you kill the over the counter buck too. That was actually a draw tag. Oh, um, was it? So okay. Yeah, in in. Most of the what we call like general units south of the Grand Canyon, um, they they rotate either an archery, a muzzleloader, or a rifle tag around in December to different units. Um, sometimes it's been in 5B, sometimes 6A, Unit 8, Unit 9. They they move it around, and that's what I drew um, this last year was when it was in 5B. Um, okay, so where you put grew up, that right? Because, yeah, it's. I mean, camp was 20 minutes from my house, and I just wanted to camp for the experience, but, you know, it was right down the road. So we got to do a lot of scouting without driving for an hour and a half or anything like that. Um, my brother, when they first started doing this program, he drew the muzzleloader tag, and we shot at a really big deer and missed, and then he killed the like a mid-170s buck. Um, and then in 2000, I think, 17 they put a rifle tag in there and Tyler Mott and I guided it together and we were hunting a crazy looking non-typical. It was like a 205. That's what I heard. Somebody spelled it after us. Um, we had shot at like a low nineties buck. So we knew that the big deer were there. Um, so that's what drove me to put in for it. And for some reason I couldn't turn up a buck better than 180. Um, to save my life during scouting. So I just went into it like I'm going to shoot a deer and I'm going to have fun with all my friends that have time off that want to come up and, you know, hunt with me. So we did. And of course, you know, we, I shoot the buck. I was super happy. I'm, I'm still happy with him. Um, and then I went to go pull my cameras that I had up and stuff and I go to check a camera and there's like four bucks that are mid eighties, maybe one ninety. <laughs> On no. one take, I was like, oh, I think I screwed that one up. I <laughs> held out. But, I, I mean, it was totally meant to be the way it all happened, and, and it was a good deal. But, yeah, I, I maybe could have been a little bit more selective. But at the end of the year, you know, I'm just out there to enjoy it with my own tag. So Yeah, that's sweet. And then, so, obviously, I'm skipping through um, – a bunch of bulls you helped on, but you helped on some incredible bulls this year. Was what? Did you have a favorite from this year? I I think um, my favorite was the Unit Nine early rifle hunt. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Tyler and I. Yeah, every year is different. You know, I'd like to say that for sure. Every year, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt with an archery hunter and an early rifle hunter in Unit Nine, but. You know, it depends on who's got the tag and if they hire a guide and who it is and whatever. So, anyways, last year we had one. So, Tyler and I just said, you know what, we're going to do this together and um, make sure we kill a big one. So, we had been in Unit 9, me and Tyler and Brett Reyes and Josh Wilson and a couple other guys. We had spent, like, Brett and I, between the two of us, we had spent 50 days in 9 just with the archery um, statewide tag holder. Yeah. So we spent a crazy amount of time up there. Um, we had some big bulls found, and this one we called T3 was one of them that the statewide tag holder wanted to kill. Um, and we called him T3 because he had triple fronts on both sides. Yeah. And um, he just, with a bow and his pattern, it was not a bull that was easy to, to kill. So we elected to hunt some other bulls. So anyways, on the late or on the archery hunt, we um, we hunted for him, never saw him. He would show up every, you know, five or six days on camera, um, and just, you know, he was kind of a nomad, it seemed like. 
And we had our last trail camera picture, I think, five days before the archery hunt ended, and then nothing of him at all. And Tyler and I went and glassed the, the day before the early rifle hunt, didn't turn him up or any bulls that we were super excited about, but we, we had a feeling that something good was going to show up. So opening day, we get right back into the same country, and I glass up a couple bulls with, you know, 30 cows. And it was me and Tyler, um, Bob the hunter, his two sons, and his grandson all together. So it was a really cool family deal. Oh, and, uh, so we, we glass up a, a herd of elk, two big frame bulls. So Bob and I needed to get a better look. So he and I take off in the truck, and we're making our, our stock to this little hill that we can definitely be close enough to see what's going on and then decide if we're going to seal the deal or not. And uh-huh. Tyler called me, and he's like, I've got T3, and you need to get moving. So... <laughs> We turn around and we make a beeline back for the truck, go a couple miles, and, you know, Tyler, he's going, you need to get out and you need to start hiking this direction. And he's like, Hunter, get out of the truck, get out of the truck and go. And so I'm breathing heavy at this point, and I go, I'm out of the truck. Well, I just pulled my truck off the road. I left the every door open in the thing <laughs> and I just told Bob I said you got to stick with me man just just be right on my feet or my coattails and uh-huh. we're gonna kill it so you know Tyler gets us in a perfect position to intercept the bull and we didn't we didn't have any, hardly any cover or a rest you know I had my tripod set up so he could stand and shoot off of it and had some trouble finding him in the scope and we finally find him in the scope and the first shot's clean miss. And I mean, I, I felt sick before, but that was like the whole new level of my stomach was in knots. Yeah. That's... And, and I had been trying to stop the bull and I'm ripping on the cow call. I mean, I don't even sound like an elk, but I'm trying to get him stopped. Right. Right. And it calls in another bull and he comes uh, is act to god again he comes out on this ridge and t3 goes up to him and they start posturing each other no way yeah and i'm thinking no chance this is actually happening so i said okay bob here's what you need to do it's 500 yards you need to make sure that your breathing's good and squeeze easy and he shoots and the bull hunches up and I'm thinking, okay, we got a hit. Heard the bullet hit him, and that looked like guts. Said, reload, shoot again. Shoots, nothing. <laughs> reload, shoot again. He shoots his fourth shot and hits him a little bit far back. Uh huh. So, you know, I'm telling Tyler what I'm seeing, and he's telling me what he's seeing, and he said he just laid down. And I thought, okay, we're back in the ball game. So it was a five-hour ordeal or whatever to get us in a position where we could see him bedded and try to sneak a bullet in there in his bed. And he would stand up, and we'd be safety off, pressure on the trigger, and he'd lay back down. And this went on and on. So finally, um, you know, we had got to like 200 yards of him, and we were just waiting for him to get up again. And he was tossing his head back and forth. We couldn't get a bullet into where he was at. And uh, we just had to wait him out or walk in there and, you know, go gorilla style and shoot him at 10 feet. Uh-huh. So we were to the point where it was getting hot and we didn't have any packs. We just had basically a gun, a tripod, and a set of 15s. <laughs> so we went said, we're going. So we walked straight at him and came around the tree and he had – when he tipped his head over, that was it. He he died right then. So Jeez. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool for, you know, Tyler to be there as the eyes and, you know, Bob's family to all be there and watch it. it he told me when he drew the tag, he said, I just want this to be, he, he waited 25 years. He said, I want this to be about the experience in my family. 
and that's exactly what he got. I mean, to the T, everything that you could ever ask for. And the Bulls like four fourteen. Yeah, that was the nastiest. When we we walked up, Bob, you know, Bob's awesome. I think he he told me his best goal before that was like a five point. Uh huh. Yeah. So when we walk up there, he goes, "That's a nice goal." <laughs> Bob, that's a little better than a nice bull. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one. Yo, that's a damn giant. <laughs> so it, it was a super cool deal. Um, you know, his whole family was very appreciative of everything, and, and it worked out perfect. And so we stayed a couple days up there just to, you know, pull cameras and do this and that. And we had an antelope hunter coming, so we were scouting for that. And uh, Bob and his family stayed in camp for like four days. And the day that he left, he goes, it finally hit me. That's a damn giant. <laughs> so, it, was, it was a super cool deal how, you know, guys that typically aren't trophy hunters draw a tag like that, and then they walk away, you know, as the trophy hunter. Right. And still do it, you know, for the, for the right reason. You know, it's a pretty cool deal. That's such a cool-looking ball, too. Like, he just has the look. I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. Yeah. I mean, he... His top end's a little short. <laughs> you want to nitpick him, but no, I'm just kidding. 60-inch beams, triple fronts, and he's got such a cool shape. Um, and that's a bull. The reason that we had gone in that area um, that opening day is because the year before on the muzzleloader hunt, Tyler had found that bull, you know, a couple miles away, but in the same world. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the year before, he was just a six-point, same shape and same beams and everything, but just a six-point, and we called him Swoops. Okay. And so, we, yeah, we went in there trying to find him again, knowing that he might go right in the same place. So this year, he had just put on 40 or 50 inches, so it made it a little bit more <laughs> sweet when we got to kill him. That's so cool. That's one of the coolest-looking bulls I think I've ever seen. Like, he's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. I want a set of replicas of those bad. <laughs> Sweet. So um, then you also helped um, in Mexico. I just wanted to hear a little bit about that. Was that the first time you guided in Mexico, or have you done that quite a bit? No, I think I've gone down with Wade Lemon for, I think that was my fourth year with them. Okay, so, and I've done some coos deer hunting down there before, so Mexico to me is not not anything, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, Tyler came down there this year, and he had, you know, you come back and you tell all your stories about the high racking and the food and speaking Spanish and how fun it is, and uh, so he got to experience it this year too, and, and I think he's probably hooked as well. Really? What? What's it? I've never been to Mexico on a deer hunt. Obviously, what like? What's it kind of like? Is it just the? Is it mostly high racks? And I mean, obviously, you guys are killing big deer. So. Yeah, it's mostly high racking. Um, we kill a lot. You know, glassing. The the thing about it down there is, you got your high points and stuff, and mm-hmm. that's great. You can glass the deer up, but everything else is so damn flat that you have to have some kind of elevation. Right. And, you know, for example, um, the first day, on the first week, right at dark, um, the guy Matt I was hunting with he killed a buck. So the next day we went up, got up on the hill for Tyler, and we were glassing, and I pick up a buck. And just a frame-wise, I told Tyler he needed to hurry up and come look at it. And so Tyler comes, and I said, I, I think he's a 3 by 4 but he's well over 30, and I'm going to let you guys make the call because, you know, I'm looking at mile and change. And I actually posted the kill shot of that buck. Um, I was videoing from the hill past the deer and Tyler was on the other side of the deer so the deer was right between us oh yeah I saw that video <laughs> it was freaking wild but, but yeah that's I mean that's the only way you can do it unless you want to walk in to you know hopefully 
you can really only see 60, 70 yards at most in a lot of that stuff down there. So without the high rack, you'd be in some, some pretty good trouble. Um, yeah. So you can do the spot and stock deal, but the high racking thing seems to provide a lot more success. Dang. So are you going to continue to, to do that in Mexico, or have you got your fill? Oh, no. I would love to go back. You know, every time I, I leave, I tell Kaylin, you could pretty much count me in for the same weeks next year. <laughs> That's sweet. Is, do you have any, like, crazy Mexico stories? Like, is it pretty dangerous or? No, I mean, bad? no, it's not bad. Um, they, everybody down there knows that you're bringing in money to their economy Mm-hmm. And they respect the heck out of you for it. And I've never had an issue with anything. Um, I think the, the toughest challenge for most people is the Spanish. Oh, okay. You know, trying to communicate, like, left, right, deer over here, we need to do this. That That's the hardest part. And I uh-huh. think the only thing I remembered from high school was, was some Spanish. So. I, <laughs> I got it down good enough to where I can communicate and <laughs> make it all right. Um, but, yeah, that seems to be the toughest part for guys is just that language barrier can get frustrating. Other than that, it's, it's pretty much the time, the best time you can have um, in the desert for mule deer, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it looks like you guys are killing giant bucks, too, so that <laughs> obviously makes it even better. So, yeah, um, that's the bonus. Yeah, I I just had a few more questions. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, I was just kind of like curious what your scouting kind of technique is, and maybe what uh, like what a typical year looks like for you. I mean, this year might be a little different since uh, you have your Arizona custom hunts, but I guess what what a year kind of looks like maybe from from scouting to um, your last kind of a time frame? So for me, um, you know, it's basically last weekend in May, cameras are going up, taking inventory. Um, That way I can kind of... Sorry, my dog was barking. Oh, no. Um, So end of May, I'll go start with the cameras. and that's just taking inventory on what's there from the years prior, you know, what lived through the winter, if it was harsh, stuff like that. Um, okay. A lot of that's for the statewide tag elk guys. Um, obviously, you know, you want to be the first one to find the bull and, and show it to them. Mm-hmm. That way you can hunt with them. Um, so that's typically what I do, especially for elk, for deer on the Kaibab, for the archery hunts and taking inventory up there. I'll start in June because they're a little bit behind the elk. Okay. Um, you know, go get cameras up, kind of re-familiarize with everything, see what roads have been shut or trees fell across, whatever. Um, and then just basically scouting as much as I can from June to May, or sorry, June to uh, August. And uh-huh. once August starts, that's when bulls usually we hunt statewide bulls um like july 20 i think we kill a handful of them like swear july 24th to 28th um so we we do a lot of that up until then usually around the 10th of august the bulls are shedding their velvet and move into their winter or sorry their rut grounds so once they do that then we kind of change gears to more of a glassing approach, finding them in an area that they're going to consistently be in, hopefully. And then um, after you kind of locate the bulls you want to hunt, then I'll go to the Kaibab for the early archery hunt. And uh-huh. I'll be up there from August 15th, roughly to September 3rd, I'll say. And then okay. I'll come back usually to unit nine go to unit nine for like it's usually about 30 days a week prior to the archery hunt the 14 days of the archery hunt the early rifle hunt 
and then a couple days afterwards getting cameras done or, or doing an antelope hunt up there or something like that. Um, then from there, we go back to the Kaibab for the early rifle hunt. That's usually a 14-day ordeal if you hunt the full 10-day season and you've done all your scouting prior. Uh-huh. Um, then go to the Strip, and that's where I met you. Yeah. And that's a 14-day deal, too. And then after that, go to the Lake Kaibab. That's another 10 days minimum. Because usually on the on the Lake Kaibab, we're killing usually in the first three days. Oh, okay. Um, after that, we go to the Late Elk, and that's you know that's another 10 days count on it. So that's that's kind of how my year goes. And then obviously I go to Mexico from anywhere to three to five weeks. Uh, doing mule deer hunts down there, so that's 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 my year. And with the scouting wise, uh, the cameras are helpful. Do mm-hmm. you need them? No. If they outlawed them, I think it would separate a lot of the, like the. I, I say the men from the boys, but it'll separate a lot of guys that rely on it from the guys that can just go out there and find a critter and kill it. Right. So. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I, I don't want them to go away. I think that that's just a little bit of overreach, but that's my personal deal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I utilize them as much as I can, um, especially Unit 9, figuring out how bulls move through the unit, where they're going to stay to rut. And then after I, on any hunt, if the camera shows something or IBAB spotlighting is a big deal, um once we find those animals then it's you know using your legs and your eyes my you know my saying is let your eyes do the walking as much as you can and that way you can kind of cover a big area all at one time and then move to the next one so the way that i kind of structure my scouting is i show up like unit nine for example uh huh. Show up eight days early, and I ten if I can. If I if I'm not still on the kaibab, show up eight days early. The first two days or day and a half is checking cameras nonstop, listening for bugles here and there, kind of getting a feel for what's rutting and what's not. Um, okay. Once I go through all the cards and stuff, looking through all the pictures, then I go into okay. I need to find these three bulls mode. And those are the three that I'll focus on. And, we, you know, the other guides in camp, too, they do the same thing. We'll all check all the cards together. And then it's, you know, Brett's going to go here, and he's going to look for this bull here. Tyler's going to go here and look for these two bulls over here. I'm going to go here and glass this in the morning and check these two cameras we missed yesterday. And Josh is going to go, and he's going to hammer this part of the unit. So that's kind of how we structure it. And that way, we all work together at the level of who's got what capabilities, expectations, as far as the clients go. Because it, it does you no good to hike a guy into the ground opening day if that's <laughs> going to be the only day he can do that. You know what I mean? So we, we're very right. conscious of that. We make sure that our scouting and game plan reflects their needs and abilities, too. So that's kind of how we do it. We got so deep into it last year where we had a whiteboard in camp in Unit 9, and we would draw out every day. Here's our target bulls. This is where they're at. This is who's hunting what bulls. That way we had, you know, we never stepped on each other's toes or anything like that. We had a, a clean-cut plan from start to finish. <laughs> that's awesome. That's cool you have it down to such a – such a science. I mean, obviously you've been doing it long enough that you know what works and what doesn't. Do you, do you already have um, elk hunters booked up this year? Or yep. Yeah, we've we've got a, a handful. Um, got some, some guys in Unit 9 and oh, you know, wow. Rifle. So it, it, right now it's looking good. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the thing that and all my buddies that know the business venture that I'm going into. We've all talked about it. You're only as good as the help you employ. So there's a lot of guys that have a guide's license that would love to do some hunts, but I 
have been very, very selective on, you know, you put kind of like your Dirty Giants thing. Uh If I said I worked for Dirty Giants and I did a bad job somewhere, that reflects on you. So the guys that I have working for Arizona Custom Hunts, I would hunt with them myself. You know, I trust them to to that level that they're going to do a good job. And that's in this industry, you know, I'll, I'll hand it to A3. They've got some amazing employees. I worked with them. I was one of them. Uh-huh. Um, so getting those good guys is part of the slow growth. And that's where, that's kind of my business model is slow growth um, and not getting too big, too fast, losing that, that quality. You know, that's, that's the custom side of this is the quality part. It's not how many hunters can I take in a year? Cause I mean, I could, I, I literally for a unit nine archery, I didn't have a guide for the hunt. So I referred him to another outfitter that I knew was going to do a good job for him. Yeah. That's what I'd like to change in the outfitting world is this cutthroat. Well, these guys have been waiting a long time for these tags. The difference in business names shouldn't affect these guys' hunts. So if I can help facilitate that guy having a really good hunt with an outfitter that I respect and know is going to do a good job, I'd be happy to send them over there because their tag should mean in this, in this world, this is a passion, right? Their tag right. should mean as much to me as it does to them, whether they hunt with me or not. Yeah, well, I think I think you're doing it right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure the listeners <laughs> that that make them feel a lot more comfortable booking with you, knowing that when they do, they're going to get someone who actually knows the unit, has spent time on the unit, and is ready to take on a hunt or not just someone found out two weeks before the hunt that, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, I guess I'm going to take a hunter. So I, I think right. that's, yeah. and that's, that's like, right. That's a big thing for me is guides will be in contact with their clients way before the hunt starts. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have that when they show up in camp and meet their hunter, it's not going to be a, Hey, my name's Josh Wilson. was one of my, <laughs> right. It's going to be a, Hey brother, how you doing? How's your family been? Your grandma's still good? You know, it's going to be that kind of thing. And that's just, you build a reputation and a relationship with them way beforehand. It's never going to do you any harm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I I do think you're doing that right. And I think a lot of times that's, that's something that people, I guess, outfitters don't, some of them don't, don't get so I, I think that's really reassuring. So I think you're doing it right. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> well, but I, when I said that I have a plan and I think uh, I know how some things should go, that's that's one of them. Yeah, well, you've been in the business long enough so you know how, how it works and what works and what doesn't. So just, just before we end, is there any uh, anything else you want to talk about or – Anything else you want to say? Um, as far as as far as the uh, hunting in Arizona side goes, you know my contact information on Instagram's Arizona Custom Hunts. Uh, my phone number's on there, and you know if you want to post my phone number as well with it, yeah. you know when you when you do post the podcast, I'm happy to help anybody, whether it be you know for a hunt, a drawn hunt, or over-the-counter archery deer, um, application advice. You know, half of this whole thing as an outfitter is helping people apply in units that, one, meet their expectations. Two, it's something that they can draw. You know, that's, that's a hard part about this deal is it's hard to get tags, but there's units where you can achieve your goals without waiting 20 years. So I'd rather see you draw a tag sooner than later and have yeah. the hunt that you want rather than wait 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody needs application help, um, you know, if you need help with me doing the application for you, that's something that I do. Um, so, yeah, what, however I can help in Arizona, I, I can give referrals in New Mexico or Utah or whatever best I can. Um, so, it, yeah, just kind of a trying to be a one-stop shop to help everybody 
accomplish, you know, what we all consider a passion. No reason to put yourself in front of somebody's dreams when they've waited a long time. So I'm happy to help anybody. Awesome. Yeah, I'll uh I'll add your phone number in there and then I'll um obviously tag you and all of the pictures I I post so that uh, people can can find you easier and then kind of see some of the animals we've talked about and then I, I you have a link to your website on your Instagram too um Arizona custom hunts.com so um we'll get all that information in there but I appreciate you uh jumping on the podcast again I'm excited to see what what you guys put down this year looks like you hopefully will have another awesome year ahead of you so I'm excited for you oh, I appreciate it I think it's shaping up to be a good one I'm excited obviously as a business owner now you know I take a lot of pride in this and I want it done the right way so I can help anybody I'll do it and uh, I'm just hoping that we get a little bit more moisture and we'll get after it for another good year (laughs) perfect